0: You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I'm Shane. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we are going to be talking about a very interesting topic with respect to is sort of a brain science-y sort of thing. But before we do that, I want to get into a couple of quick housekeeping items. First, I am very excited to announce that next month, starting at the next episode after this one, we have decided that we are going to do a sort of... Halloween-y themed month of October. So there are five weeks in October. We have chosen five topics that are sort of in the creepy-ish realm. This was Shane's idea. So thank you for even suggesting it, Shane.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to have fun. This is where why we do what we do get spooky.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Why we do spooky things. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's what October is going to be. So I'm really looking forward to it. Come back, join us for that. Recommend us to someone who's into the the creepy psychology stuff, because all of it's still going to be psychology, because you know that's what we talk about here. And inside of that, we're going to be tackling that sort of creepy-ish stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and I guess not spoil, but uh, alert everyone to the first episode is going to be on drum roll, Shane. (laughs)
1: clinical lycanthropy
0: yes and so you'll learn all about that in that episode and uh, as i said we'll do that for each week in october and i think you know we may announce them ahead of time what we're going to do or if you want we can keep them hidden let us know leave a comment send us an email tag us on instagram let us know all right Other quick housekeeping item is just reminding everyone that you can find us on any of the platforms. And if you do like our show, one way that you can support us is by leaving us a review, leaving us a rating, which you don't necessarily have to leave a review for, but ratings are cool. Helps other people find us. It sort of puts us in a category where more people are likely to see us in terms of how the software algorithms sort of work. You can join us on Patreon. We have bonus episodes. We have uncut episodes. We have video recordings of us doing our episodes episodes. You can join all the way up to participating in an episode if you'd like. And then if you have anything that you'd like to talk to us about, you can always contact us on our various social media platforms and email us at info at www.dwwdpodcast.com.
1: Yeah. So come talk to us.
0: All right. So that's all I've got for that. Let's go ahead and dive into our topic today. And let's begin with Shane. Do you have Or do you
1: know anyone who has had a seizure? So I do not have seizures, but I do know I have worked with some individuals who do. And it can be pretty interesting. It can get really complex really quickly. When you say work with, are these co-workers or people that you are providing services for? So I apologize. These are individuals that I provide services for. Okay, got it. Part of my role has been helping to monitor and help manage some of the seizures that they may be having and, and collaborate with some other professionals to ensure that it's being managed safely.
0: Do you have any stories about experiences you've had with this that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah. I worked with a um, a young man who would, in the middle of a conversation, would just kind of freeze up, would just kind of stop talking mm, Yeah. and actually like kind of stare at the ceiling for a minute or not even a minute. It would be like a couple seconds at a time. And the mom that we were working with had a challenge with this or had a problem with this because they'd be like, he's just not listening anymore. He's not, he's not answering me. He's not doing this and kind of like thought of it as a disrespect type of thing. I see. When we went and got him evaluated, it ended up being that he was having, uh, what was described as petite mall seizures, Yeah. which is a very particular type of seizure, but it would only happen for a few seconds and it would be almost kind of like he would totally phase out and then come back into the conversation just a little bit later, almost like kind of like a stutter.
0: Yeah. So sounds like the mom and the parents just didn't know that that's what was going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was new to me. I, I wasn't sure what was going on. I had asked her to get them evaluated. because so I wasn't sure what was happening. I didn't know that was a type of seizure until we learned about it.
0: Oh, okay. So I have, and actually the reason I asked you about the coworkers is that most of my experiences have come from people that I was working directly with as coworkers. And one of the very first ones that I remember ever seeing, I was at this, it was a call center where I worked. And one of the other people who worked there turned around in their chair. So we all had these. They were like semi-cubicles. They weren't full cubicles, but sort of had walls between us. And they started just sort of reaching out into the air Oh. like they were trying to grab something. And they started their eyes were darting around really quick and made some vocal noises and then just fell to the ground and started having a seizure. So that was It was so different from anything I'd ever experienced at that point. I remember it fairly vividly. And then my roommate, actually, when I was starting in grad school, he was actually working with a client. And I was in my office. And because we were roommates, what happened was he apparently started to have a seizure what we'll describe as being called a grand mall. And people like ran to me and they said, does he have seizures? And I said, not that I'm aware of. And so I ran down and I was sort of there with them. But at the time thinking, I don't really know what to do. And so they actually, after that, gave everybody basic emergency response seizure training in the clinic, which was smart on their part.
1: Yeah. I have a friend that I've asked some questions about because, um, you know, it's something that has been managed for a long time for her. And one of the experiences that she talked about is when they discovered that she was having seizures, she was not able to drive for almost a year. Wow. That in itself was, was incredibly restricting. Yeah. She wasn't able to drive to work. She had children. Like there, there's a lot of stuff going on that really kind of, she has to be more mindful of as a result. So she has to manage them in a very particular way so that she can actually like live a fairly unrestricted life. I mean, things are good now, but you know, there was a period of time where she had a really hard time with it, it seemed.
0: Now that client that you were describing that you worked with who had seizures, how often were they occurring?
1: Before they were managed, it would be In just a daily conversation, it would happen a few times in a a conversation. Oh, wow. And it would happen every day, but maybe let's say I would have five sessions with him a week. I would say three out of those five sessions, and I'm kind of ballparking it a little bit, but three out of those five sessions, I would notice that, you know, and they would happen probably in an hour-long conversation, I would notice at least four or five of them.
0: Wow. So this was someone who was probably experiencing seizures throughout the day, every day.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, ha- absolutely. I mean, they said that it was happening so often that it was shocking that nobody had taken him to go get it evaluated earlier.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's fairly uncommon for most people is to have them occur that frequently, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But there was one other individual that I worked with who was a client that I was providing services for, and he was actually fairly similar in that he had seizures every, eh, maybe. 20 to 30 minutes sometimes more sometimes less and very interesting Uh, his his were a little more intense and also a little more long lasting so they could go on for a minute or so and didn't necessarily involve what people might think of when they think of seizures as that convulsing but it was a lot more of this it was almost like those little toys, when you press the bottom, and they just kind of go limp. Yes, it was kind of like that. All of a sudden, he'd just kind of lose a lot of muscle tone and just kind of be staring off into the distance, and would we'll
1: just be that way for a little bit. I'm glad that we share those stories because I think that kind of helps undo some of the conceptions about seizures. Right? People think that it might be this one thing, and it's actually kind of this pretty wide array of different things that could happen.
0: Yeah. And do you know the difference between a seizure and a seizure disorder?
1: I personally do not. Even having worked with somebody who has seizures and seizure disorders, I don't know that I've ever spent time looking at the difference between the two.
0: Okay. Well, we'll get into that a little bit. Today, we're going to be discussing seizure disorders, specifically what they are, how they occur, the impact of them, treatments for them, and what to do in a situation if you do experience someone having a seizure. And this is not going to be medical training. Don't consider this you know, medical training, but just general advice for the sort of best practices of how to react in that situation for most people.
1: And just provide a general understanding of what they are. Yeah. People just don't even know what they are.
0: Yeah, perfect. So, let's go over essentially what is what we're kind of talking about here. So, just to give an overview of seizure disorders, there are at least 40 different types of identified seizure disorders. And these are medical conditions characterized by multiple electrochemical convulsions in the brain that result in either a generalized seizure, which sort of means a complete, involves the whole brain, whole body that sort of thing, that can result in a loss of consciousness, or it can be a partial or focal seizure that can result in partial loss of consciousness or confusion. And then there's something called an unknown onset seizure, which may include features of both the general and the partial and may include motor or non-motor muscular elements or drops in
1: awareness or like lack of awareness, I guess. Yeah. So most of the types seem to be classified based on the kind of symptoms that they produce. So you'll see like kind of Abraham mentioned, there are a lot of different ways that this could go. It could be full loss of consciousness. It could be, you know, I know that there are, is it febrile seizures that are like the onset might be as a a result of a high fever. There's a lot of different ways it can go. So they're classified by the types in the symptoms and the kind of symptoms they produce.
0: Yeah, exactly. But generally speaking, as we mentioned, Many times, the brain is the centralized hub where all the different parts of our body are connected, but it only works because the right connections happen at the right times, the right communications. It's sort of like, like a keyboard on a typewriter. And I use typewriter because computers are work a little bit differently. But let's just say, if you type the right keys in the right sequence, you can get a story that you can understand. However, if you were to just mash all the keys down at the same time, mostly you'll get keys that are just all jammed together. But even if the hammers do reach the page, you get a bunch of unreadable nonsense, just a bunch of ink sort of piled on top of other ink, right? And so this is a similar metaphor just trying to apply to the brain where if firing happens all at once in the brain. It's likely to result in the wide range of symptoms based on when and where and for how long this uncoordinated firing occurs.
1: That is one of the best metaphors I've ever seen for a seizure. Thank you. Yeah, that's really great because the hammers would get tied up, right? Like you would have to like kind of unstuck the hammers to even go forward sometimes so yeah so seizures commonly last between one and three minutes and can include a a whole bunch of different things so one of them and i think this is probably one of the more common things that people see are the convulsions like when people think of seizures they think of somebody falling down shaking on the ground and kind of doing those things and so i've seen that happen at work sometimes but not very often but the convulsions are one that people tend to associate with seizures the most often it seems
0: yeah a lot of rapid contracting and loosening of muscles that makes it look like a lot of shaking and there can also be a bit of thrashing about as limbs just swing in various places. And you can see a lot of clenching of the jaw and unclenching, which can result in a lot of teeth grinding, that sort of thing. So, yeah, basically, it's a loss of muscle control that results in sort of sporadic jerky motions.
1: Yeah. And you've also got eye blinking. Pretty, right. So that might be a little bit more subtle.
0: Pretty self-explanatory,
1: though. Yeah. Yeah. Lips might be slightly, they, they they might slightly jerk or move, so that might be kind of like a, like almost like a twitch. Yep. And, and as Abraham described before, you've got a sudden loss of muscle tone, almost like that toy that loses all its support. Yep. A head dropping suddenly, the person might cry out, the person could fall to the ground. They may experience some changes in taste or smells. That's a new one. I've never heard that one for a symptom.
0: Yeah. It's basically actually any of the senses. Any of the senses can have this random sudden like you smell something that isn't there or it's like all of a sudden you have the smell of bacon in your nose, even though there's nothing around and it's not actually in your nose. It's just that there is a certain experience that can happen when the parts of your brain that are associated with those senses are all of a sudden triggered and the absence of those senses creates like a hallucination of what that sense would be like. And that can be the sound, smells, visuals, all kinds of stuff.
1: And then you also run the risk of like more severe situations where somebody could bite their tongue. Yep, That gets a little scary and the person cannot answer questions. And that was something that I had experienced with the young man that I was working with. You may also have thought disturbances, eye rolling, and the person may also involuntarily urinate or have a bowel movement. So, and I think it's probably important to note that it's not usually that one of these things happens in isolation.
0: Right. You often get a lot of combination of those things. Some of them more intense than others. You might have only one, you might have almost all of them, you know, and then those are just the most common ones. There are many ways that this can show up for people. As a matter of fact, there are some websites that talk about seizures that specifically say that no two seizures are alike because it's just, it's so, it's such a different experience for everybody and the way that it occurs is so different.
1: Yeah. So I guess when we kind of talk about seizures, one of the more important things we kind of mentioned that they usually last between one and three minutes, but if it lasts more than five minutes or there are several consecutive seizures, you should immediately call whatever emergency number you have. So in the U S it's nine one one. It's actually a good idea to call the emergency regardless of how long it lasts because it may be a symptom of something else too and it's worth getting it checked out.
0: Yeah. Now, one thing that we talked about is the difference between a seizure and a seizure disorders is that seizure disorders are regular occurring and a seizure is a single instance of one. Okay. So seizure disorders characterize common repeated experiences of having a seizure. And an important thing here is that people have heard the term epilepsy, and I'm not sure if we've mentioned that so far in this episode, but epilepsy does not characterize all seizure disorders. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned at the top, there are about 40 different kinds of identified seizure disorders, and epilepsy is only one type of seizure disorder, and it has a wide range of possible symptoms. Again, so it's just there's there's a lot of variation in how this works. So, I want to come back to describing sort of the process of what this looks like in the brain, okay? Let's do it. All right, so as I mentioned before, our body is basically a bundle of long fibers that we call neurons. And these neurons could have evolved to communicate primarily with just the neurons in each respective part of our body. So, for example, we could have evolved so that the neurons in our arms were all connected together, and then our arms would work really, really well together and independently from the rest of the body, but they wouldn't necessarily coordinate with other parts of the body as easily, such as with our legs or with our eyes or something like that. And this has actually happened. This is how octopuses work. Each of their arms has a little cluster of neurons bundled together, such that each arm basically has its own version of a brain.
1: Octopi are wild.
0: Yeah, aren't they cool? So they don't actually have a centralized brain. Their nerves are more spread out and have a whole bunch of little hubs. So an octopus kind of has eight brains, if you want to think of it that way. That's interesting. Yeah, and so that is that is just a different way that a creature can evolve. And there are certain advantages and disadvantages to that. One thing to think about is how long it takes the message to get from one part of the body to another. And That if you have a brain that's really far from another part of the body, then the amount of time it would take a message for, let's say pain, let's say you're a very, very long creature, I don't know, 70 feet long, like you're a giant dinosaur. And if you, at the very tip of your tail is so far away that even though neuron signals travel extremely quickly, it might not be fast enough to avoid danger if something hits your tail. Cause it would crush it or pinch it or scratch it or whatever happens. And it would take just long enough for that signal to get to the brain for the animal to react that it would not allow them to survive very well. So, it might make sense to have multiple sets of little ganglion and little neuron clusters in different parts of their body. And there was this hypothesis because of the size of dinosaurs and that exact problem, there was a hypothesis put forward by some paleontologists that there was something called a hind brain where they had like a little mini brain near their butt. But I think the evidence has more or less suggested that probably was not the case.
1: Ah, that's a shame. I would love to do an episode on butt brains. (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) So in humans, humans are not generally long creatures, but... (laughs) So with humans, though, our nerves all connect in one central place, and it's our heads. And there, they form our brain. What's important to understand in this is that the way our body is connected is that certain neurons only communicate with certain other neurons at certain times. Essentially, a neuron only produces an electrochemical signal, or we could say it fires, at certain times, with certain other neurons.
0: Yeah. So, for example, the neurons that fire when you're looking at something and then grab for it and you close your hand around it, like in that step of things, like you're reaching out to grab something. At first, the neurons in your eyes are firing. Then the neurons in your arm are firing. Then the neurons for your fingers are firing, and they they occur in a very specific sequence that allows you to grasp something and pick it up. If it occurred out of order then you would not be able to grasp something and pick it up, right? It'd be like all of a sudden your fingers clenched, then you move your arm forward. Then all of a sudden you see the thing that you're moving your arm toward. Like that would, that would just not work. So you can see immediately that when the order gets scrambled or all of those happen at once, then you, it doesn't look like a intentional behavior.
1: Right. So you can imagine that if all of those neurons just start f- signaling all at once and there's a sudden burst of electrical activity way more than would ever actually occur in even the most neurologically demanding scenarios our experience would be something like white noise for the entire body and senses and you would get the symptoms that we described above
0: and now we need to be careful not to be misleading it's it's not necessarily that all neurons are firing at once for every person who has a seizure. Okay, it's Often it's just parts of the brain that suddenly become very active, which means, of course, that only certain parts of the body and, and senses and, and sort of cognitive processes are involved so that you get some symptoms like unresponsiveness or maybe sane random nonsense or a loss of visual acuity or any of the other things that we discussed but not necessarily a loss in other things like someone might be standing there and able to coordinate their standing, but not be able to hear and attend to things around them. Sort of in this similar, the the example that you had given Mm -hmm. alternatively, you might have someone who seems to be hearing things, but isn't able to form any kind of words and isn't able to really gesture and move very easily. I mean, it could look like a lot of different things and it's just so different for other people.
1: Yeah. So, as we kind of talk about and kind of form this idea of what seizures are going to look like, it's important to also understand that they happen in stages, right? So they do happen in the stages with a beginning, middle, and end. And at the beginning, there might be a few warning signs such as changes in sensations like touch, smell, etc. And that's probably where like some service dogs come in, like epilepsy dogs come in. They, they can sense these changes. Good call. You might see some behavioral changes and confusion and many actually report seeing an aura. Yeah. So a weird color or energy radiating out. And that's not your weird hippie aunt that's just going like, I see your aura. And then like, you should be like, you're about to have a seizure. It's not (laughs) like that. It happens more suddenly. Like, it's not like somebody who sees auras all the time, right? They might be having seizures, but probably not. Yeah, probably not.
0: (laughs) And good call on the seizure dogs. I totally did not think to include that when we were prepping for this episode, but that's a really interesting one. It might be fun to tackle a little bit down the road. Okay. So you just talked about the beginning during a seizure in the middle is when some of the symptoms that we mentioned earlier occur. And so that's all of those things that we described in terms of the muscle loss, the lack of focus, the convulsions might happen there, the you know sort of head dropping sort of stuff, the eye blinking, the teeth grinding. That's when those things are going to occur is during the middle section, if you will, the middle stage of the seizure.
1: Yeah. And then towards the end, people do recover pretty immediately. Some people do, but others, it takes a long time. It may take some hour, maybe even a day or so to to recover fully, to get back to feeling normal. I've worked with some individuals that have like, when they've had a seizure, they've gone to sleep pretty soon after because they are just exhausted from it. Yeah, There are people that report feeling weak or tired. And those are for some of those individuals that have more severe symptoms related to it. Some people experience shame or embarrassment because it is something that's like out of their control. So they'll They'll have an episode and they're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And and I've never, been, I've never met anybody that's been like, how dare you have a seizure? Yeah. But I'm sure there are people out there that do that. Yeah. Those are some of the things that kind of happen after. So recovery time is going to vary for everybody who has these types of events.
0: You had a seizure because you thought of the devil. <laughs>
1: I, there was probably a period of time <laughs> because there was a period of time where we thought that maggots came from meat.
0: That's true. They do. That's just a thing. They do. Just just kidding. Just kidding. One thing is, and and a lot of people wonder this. It's really not understood why seizures happen. A lot of people have their hypotheses and their speculations and whatnot, but it's just never been very clear. As as much as we tried to pin it down, we don't always know. There are some causes that we definitely know. There are certain drugs that are likely to induce seizures. Brain trauma is very likely to induce seizures, things like that, that we do know. But just for those people who, out of the blue, they all of a sudden have a seizure and they've never had one before, at that point they maybe have never been diagnosed with any kind of seizure disorder, for those people it, we don't necessarily know like it's it's just not it's not very clear we also don't know why they last however long they last so as you mentioned for some people it's just a couple of seconds for others they can go on for a very long time actually and that can be really dangerous and then finally we don't necessarily know the conditions under which a person will have one type of seizure over another and So it's, again, there are things where we see that there tend to be similar seizures that a person has. If they're going to be having seizures, they will look similar to one another often, but not always. You know, you you can get a lot of variability in the people's experience of having a seizure.
1: And with talking about that variability, we should probably talk about the impact, right? How does this actually impact people that are experiencing these things, I should say? So one of the things that happens, this is a common report, is that people don't remember what happens when they are experiencing the seizure itself. So often those who experience a seizure disorder, such as epilepsy, they frequently have trouble with their memory ranging from the difficulties concentrating to general disorientation and cloudy consciousness. So they have this experience of not really knowing what happened sometimes.
0: And what's important about this is, of course, as memory is really important for learning, this means that people who suffer from a seizure disorder may also experience having difficulty learning at the same rate or in the same settings of people Without, I guess, in more traditional education settings. So people who do not have a seizure disorder can access sort of traditional education settings and do just fine. But there might need there might need to be additional support for someone who does have a seizure disorder. So for some, only their short term memory is impacted by seizures and That's that, you know, initial five, seven seconds or so of consolidating information. But for others, it can affect overall memory storage and retrieval in a really big, impactful way.
1: So say that can really impact somebody's life. Absolutely. Especially somebody who's like maybe seeking higher learning or anything like that. That can get in the way. I mean, we use our
0: memories constantly for everything that we do.
1: Yeah. I mean, even you and I are talking. I I have to remember what you just said to be able to respond appropriately, right?
0: And what you just said to be able to keep talking.
1: Yeah. There you go. So for those who experience seizures while sleeping, these can prevent the needed common neurological processes that occur when we sleep and thus cause the person to miss some of the necessary benefits of sleep, which is believed to be to include memory consolidation and pruning. So this is another thing that has like a larger implication. If you're not getting the sleep you need, it's not helping improve your memory processes and now you run the risk of having some additional memory issues just from having seizures while you sleep.
0: Yep, that's exactly it, Shane. And so generally speaking, this can mean can mean delayed or entirely stunted cognitive development, can also mean low development of social behaviors, lack of being able to independently feed themselves, use the bathroom, or even just like get food for themselves. And there can also they can also experience visual and auditory processing problems. I mean, when those parts of the brain experience fatigue from a lot of uncoordinated random bursts of activity that can take a toll sometimes on how well those systems are able to continue to work and function.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important kind of because we brought up epilepsy before. So we should say that there are many, 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 many people with epilepsy who lead mostly normal lives. And besides needing people around in case they have a seizure, they otherwise develop and function perfectly normally. As a matter of fact, my friend who does have epilepsy, like she lives an incredibly normal life. But part of that is because it's managed. Right. And we're going to talk about some interventions and stuff around that. But for those who have many seizures and are unresponsive to interventions, seizure disorders can be really, really challenging. They can create these significant challenges for the person and their family and caregivers. It's not to say their lives are less important or valuable. They're still human beings and deserve respect and dignity in, in the care that they need. And they should be approached with the kind of love and compassion that they deserve to lead these rich, fulfilling lives. But they are impacted directly by this unmanaged or these really challenging difficult to manage difficult to manage yeah the the seizure disorders and the seizures that that do impact their daily lives yeah absolutely so okay
0: well is there anything that we can do about these seizures shane is there anything we that can be done
1: sometimes okay most of the time actually there are some really effective treatments so we're going to talk about that
0: now primarily the goal of treatments for seizures are to help the person have as normal and as accessible a life as possible with the fewest restrictions. So it's not necessarily to, because the cause is often unknown, a lot of times treatment is managing symptoms. If they can get after the cause, then they will. And if there's any other way to make that person more comfortable and have access to the least restrictive environment possible, then that's essentially the goal of treatment.
1: Yeah. And so a lot of times, what you'll see are these treatments include uh, medications, such as anticonvulsants. Sometimes uh, there's some surgery that impacts, uh, like, you know, impacts the vagus nerve stimulator and all that, or with diets, such as ketogenic diets. So there's a lot of different ways that people do approach it. What I have seen more than anything else is the use of some kind of anticonvulsant medication. Right. Especially like working with individuals with special needs, that tends to be the easiest accessible. Type of intervention.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I didn't look up the numbers on that, but I do believe that medication is the most common way of approaching treatment for seizure disorders. The vagus nerve stimulator, I didn't want to go into super in-depth detail on that here but i was thinking there might be something cool to talk about like deep brain stimulation generally and like having this you know a magnet implanted in your body that you sort of trigger an electrical impulse with hmm. and like all of that's very cool and i think it actually might be better on its own i really just wanted to keep us focused on seizure disorders generally in here but i'd like to come back to the vagus nerve stimulator and other deep brain stimulation now moving on to other things We mentioned sort of the big three. You got medication, surgery, and diet. Many people also try using herbs and supplements to try and treat their seizures, such as what's called cannabidiol or CBD. And there has been a lot of research on CBD, but the results are fairly unclear. Now, some people report CBD as the most effective intervention for them, while for others, it does not appear to help at all. It just doesn't do anything. And so the mechanism by which CBD w- could help is just entirely speculation at this point. We don't know. Like, we can hypothesize, we can make some educated guesses, but we just we don't know how and when it works for whom it's going to work versus for whom it won't and mostly the research just does not clearly indicate how well it works for for whom and what type of seizures it'll work what doses are necessary and sufficient to achieve a therapeutic effect so like i would love to be able to be an advocate for this because i've heard of i've heard of this being really effective for people but the evidence just isn't super clear right now and so hopefully we'll find out that this is a really powerful intervention for a lot of people and who those people are. And right now we just don't know.
1: And I think that is probably the case for CBD in general. Yes, that's true. In general for everything, right? Like it's highly anecdotal, not a lot of really good research or evidence to support it. So hopefully we find some really cool stuff with it to look at that therapeutic effect at some point.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I've I've taken CBD for pain management and have found that I experienced some relief with that. I'm not clear if it's just a placebo effect. It very well may be, but it's, I found some benefit in it. But again, like it's just, yeah, the research needs to be there. The science needs to, there needs to be some good science and funding for science to be done on this so that we can really speak to the conditions under which this is likely to be helpful and for what and for whom.
1: One of the other interventions that we see, um, would be that some people have also applied teaching strategies derived from behavioral learning theory or BF Skinner's behaviorism. And there's been some success with these individuals. What they've found is they've implemented these strategies. They've implemented this teaching and the individuals that are receiving that type of intervention are benefiting from learning new skills to help improve their quality of life.
0: Yeah. And it's not, again, it's not super clear that this is going to be the best intervention for those individuals, but it might be, you know, it it might be at least something to supplement with other interventions. Like it could be the case that that coupled with anticonvulsants or that coupled with CBD or that coupled with surgery, or maybe all of those things, you know, honestly, you know, I don't know, but all of these things have some amount of evidence to suggest that they might be effective for people who have a seizure disorder.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, you know, for somebody who has pretty overt symptoms, or signs like we talked about the beginning, middle and end, I think there would probably be some good teaching strategies for somebody how to maintain their safety when they do have a seizure coming on. Like they can identify the signs and engage in a set of behaviors to prevent any further injury.
0: And that is incredibly good opportunity to segue to when talking about safety to what to do if someone is having a seizure. Do you think that's a good place or do you want to elaborate on that more?
1: No, let's do that. That's perfect.
0: Perfect. Great. I was like, man, that was that was such a good setup. Maybe you did that on purpose. Sorry to make it awkward.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a that was entirely by happenstance. <laughs> Great. Well, I loved it.
0: So, first, for what is called a generalized tonic-clonic or otherwise known as grand mal or maybe you think of it as a big seizure, and this is the one that you're probably you ha- probably had in your mind when thinking about what seizures are. The very first thing to do in situations like this is clear the area of people and also any potentially dangerous objects, such as things that are sharp. Okay. So basically you just want to make the area that that person is in as safe as possible for everyone involved. You don't want people getting hit or scratched. You don't want the person who is experiencing the seizure to hurt themselves on anything sharp or, or dangerous or chemical, you know, like it's just, you want to keep make that area as safe as possible.
1: I used to work at a seafood restaurant and uh, one of the employees there had a seizure Uh Well, he was a cook. And had a seizure in, it's a southern seafood restaurant where there are deep fryers and grills everywhere. Yeah. And he ended up falling, but the way he fell is his head fell, like went up under one of the ovens. So this one in particular is one of the most important things. We had to be able to like pull him out from under the oven so he didn't hit his head on the oven and and all that while we were in the kitchen. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I know that's a really intense one, but and he was okay and got it all treated, but it was one of those things. So good. Number one. Keep the area safe, remove dangerous objects. Number two would be you want to try to gently roll the person onto their side. This is primarily to ensure that their airway doesn't get blocked and that they choke. So I've heard stories of people swallowing their tongues and stuff like that.
0: Uh, that actually doesn't happen and we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, But they, they can, if they vomit, they can choke on their own vomit. If they spit up or drool a lot, then they can choke on that. If they get something in their mouth, if they're laying on their back, that can happen. Also if they're laying on their stomach, then they're, they can experience too much pressure on their heart and chest cavity. So So that can be dangerous. So that's why the the recommendation is generally on their side is that in that way, they can't experience too much pressure on their chest, on their heart, on their lungs, on their anything, on their organs. And they also are, they aren't going to get any liquid caught in their throats that they then can't expel and end up choking on. So that's, that's the reason primarily to roll them on their side. And then another thing to do in step three here. And actually, I'm going to review them because I want to make sure you remember. First one, clear the area of people and and objects. Make it safe. Number two, roll the person on their side. Number three, time the seizure. This can be really important, especially because at some point you're going to have to decide whether you need to call emergency services. I mean, you want to make sure that they're safe before anything else. But once it's safe to do so, use your watch or phone or whatever is available that's nearby and time the seizure so that you have a record of how long it lasted.
1: Yeah, and then we used to do this for data collection purposes to help support some of the interventions and the medications that our individuals needed.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's another reason to time it, sure.
1: Yeah, it was it was helpful in in collaborating. So number one, you're going to clear the area. Number two, roll them on their side. Number three, you're going to record the time of the seizure. Number four, call emergency services. Now, some recommend calling only if the seizure lasts more than about three minutes. But I've seen protocols where they may require an instant phone call no matter what. So you're going to want to know what that protocol might be for that person.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully that's communicated to you ahead of time. But I mean, if you happen to be in a place where there's a random person who just starts having a seizure, it does not hurt anybody to just make that call. You might be saving a life, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that would be my recommendation. And yes, generally, like they're only going to last uh, a few minutes, one to two, up to three maybe. But if they do last longer than that, then they absolutely have to have those emergency services there. And that's why it might be important to just call as quickly as possible that, so they can be there even sooner. I agree. All right. So first, clear the area of people and dangerous objects. Second, roll the person onto their side. Third, time it. Four, call emergency services. And five, when someone is having a seizure, it is very important that you do not try to hold their arms and legs in place or pin them down in any way. They're going to be moving about possibly. That's okay. Just make it safe. That's all. Don't try and control them. You can injure them a lot and potentially cause a lot of harm by trying to to hold them in place.
1: You can injure yourself too.
0: Yes, you can absolutely injure yourself. That's a very good point. Furthermore, do not put anything in their mouth. I'm going to say that again to make sure the emphasis is there. Do not put anything in their mouth. They actually cannot swallow their own tongue, but they might swallow whatever you put in their mouth, or they might damage their teeth on whatever that you put in their mouth, or like a lot of other things can happen. So, you know, if they end up grinding their teeth down on something you put in their mouth and there's shards of teeth falling back into their throat, also not a good idea also that sucks for their teeth like this is a person who's going to have a life after their seizure and they probably like to have a life that is not missing a lot of teeth or have a bunch of like whatever material like lodged in their throat so it, you might be tempted to try and block if their teeth grinding and whatnot but don't it's just it's not appropriate.
1: now also shards of teeth is the worst thing i've ever heard <laughs> It sounds terrible. It sounds like it could be a good band name, though. You know, so if any of you out there are playing in, like, I don't know, some really loud metal band, I guess that's a really great name for that. Yeah, I was just thinking, like,
0: grunge or metal, that'd be a good good band name. Shards of Teeth. Or a grindcore band, (laughs) for those of you who don't know. I wonder if there's a a t-shirt and idea in there, too, about, like, don't make shards of teeth.
1: (laughs) 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 Why we do what we do. (laughs) Oh, man, I can't wait for the gag shirts to come out. So the second part, too, we talked about those larger seizures. There's, there are milder seizures that you will come across or, or possibly encounter. The person will often be like someone who is in a trance or sleepwalking. We kind of talked about that before where they're not responsive. Maybe they kind of get, you know, limp or floppy, if you will. Floppy. <laughs> that's a good description of it (laughs) so you might have you might have one of these things but what we we've got some steps for that too so the first one would be gently lead guide or move the person away from anything dangerous or any dangerous situations just in case it can't hurt to be cautious in this situation
0: yeah and i mean if they're in a situation if they're already in a safe place great just you know move anything else in this in the area but yeah just try and lead them to a place where they'll be the most safe if they need to be
1: yeah two again time their seizure Right. You want to make sure you get that for them so that they do have the information that's going to be valuable medical information for them. Right. And then finally... You want to make sure that you or they
0: report that seizure to their doctor, whoever that might be. It needs to go on their medical record that that's something that they experience, even if it's one of those milder seizures, because that could be indicative of something important like a brain tumor or like there is some kind of I actually don't know if this is totally the case, but I feel like I have heard that there are certain diseases that can cause seizures, but whatever it might be like that needs to be something that is on their medical record so that if they ever have another seizure or end up at the hospital for any reason that they know that ahead of time. That could be, again, one of those very basic life-saving things that you do.
1: Yeah. So I, I hopefully that's helpful. I mean, I would also probably look at being mindful of what recovery time looks like Yeah. and, you know, just keeping those in mind. And I would definitely try to contact some additional resources for how to help manage or how to help support somebody with a seizure disorder so that you can have like, I mean, cause these are just very general guidelines, but they can be super helpful There are a lot of resources out there that will help support those individuals to have this too.
0: Yeah. I was going to say one of the best resources I got for preparation on my notes for this episode was at a website, epilepsy.com. So, you know, they had a lot of really great resources on their website. I'd recommend you go and check that out. And if you want to learn more about seizures, that's a really good source for that too. Awesome website. It looks like a cool foundation. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Ready to wrap it up? Let's do it. Perfect got my wrapping paper here. (laughs) So, I mean, I think the general take homes here about this are that seizures occur when you have this, this big surge of electrochemical brain activity. And the experience that that causes is again, it's sort of those white noise. It's like everything's happening all at once. So the person is not going to remember anything. Most of the time, they're going to often experience certain muscle spasms or just a very lose all muscle tone and have just a very vacant sort of look and it is different for everybody
1: yeah and i think there are some misconceptions like even i had heard that you can somebody can swallow their tongue and you can't right so that if that information is out there then it's important to recognize that there might be some misconceptions about this so i would still go back to the idea of like you know try to keep that person safe if you know somebody has a seizure disorder ask them you know if they're willing to share what ways you can support them and keep them safe too but at the end of the day it's just one of those things where it is very different it's very unique and it is far more complex than i think people make it out to be
0: yeah i think that that's a great point with you know asking someone if you can you know be of assistance to them should they experience some kind of seizure And then just some of the treatments we talked about are primarily you have medication, surgery, and diet changes. And I think all of those would be interesting generally to sort of cover on their own. I'm not sure how much we could do with anticonvulsants. Maybe something, might be like part of a pharmacology episode or something, but the vagus nerve simulator I think would be really cool. And then there's a lot of interest and a lot of anecdotes about the usefulness of CBD and
1: hopefully the science will catch up to that. Fingers crossed. (laughs) those are all the take-home points I've got I don't have anything else that I would add
0: I considered reading through the like what to do section again but we repeated it like four times so hopefully that was sufficient
1: yeah and if not we'll Probably link some resources in the notes and stuff. So you all have it.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for recording with me today. Shane, if you have any stories about seizures, if you'd like to educate us about something that we got wrong, feel free to leave us a comment, send us an email or say something nice to gently correct us on any of the social media platforms. And we will gladly do a correction or do maybe make notes to that episode on the webpage to address it. Uh, you can find out more about this episode by going to our website, which is WWD And of course you can find us all over the place anymore. Yeah. And again, if you want to support the show, tell a friend
1: yeah please share the posts comment like all all that fun stuff all the things that the social media people do
0: all right join us for the month of october for our creepy psychology
1: extravaganza starting with clinical lycanthropy yes which is just you know psycho psychological werewolves is what we're looking at that's exactly it
0: (laughs) looking forward to it
1: (laughs) yeah it's gonna be good we're gonna have i think we're gonna have a lot of fun with it it's gonna be a really interesting month all right perfect well thanks again this is abraham and this is shane we are out see ya
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD WWD podcast on your favorite social media platforms.